book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my nine-year-old daughter. Are you still nine? <laughs> yes. About the Harry Potter book series as she reads through them. Lily, we're almost done. We are at the near the end of book seven, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Yet. See, I would have been sad about this, but then they came out with The Cursed Child. <laughs> That's true. This was almost the end of the, the Harry Potter world for you, whereas I had to wait... Oh, I don't know how long it's been, 10 years? Uh, you had to wait all of 10 minutes. Uh, actually, when you finish this book, there will already be a new one waiting for you, which is cosmically unfair for those of us <laughs> that waited so much longer. Uh, though we are following up now, we haven't read, or you haven't read, in months. It's been months and months. My work schedule has not permitted a podcast, and we are months behind and in the intervening time since our last podcast, the second chapter guide that I was using has removed itself from the internet, <laughs> and I've now had to find a third one. So this is going to be interesting to see if I can actually uh, glean the information that I need to guide this podcast through a new source of information that I've never used before until this very moment. Chapter 26, Green Guts. So when we left our friends, they were planning uh, a big sort of heist. What was the what's the gist of what they were trying to accomplish, or where were they going to break into? They're going to break into the into Gringotts. And what's the point of that? Why do they need to break into Gringotts? So that they can get the what am I trying to say? Horcrux. Which. At this point, do they know what the Horcrux is, or do they know just where it is? They know what it is. Okay, so they know it's the cup of Helena Hufflepuff. Yes. It seems like Voldemort has been collecting an item from each of the houses, uh, head ho- house heads of Hogwarts. <laughs> Obviously, he prizes Slytherin's locket most. Probably so. Also, to this at this point, at least, we haven't seen any sort of Gryffindor trinket So it may be that it's the sword of Gryffindor, or it may be that there isn't one. I'm guessing it's the sword. The sword is currently still missing, is that correct? Yes. Let's see, hang on, hang on. Wait, do we know if it's a Horcrux or not? The sword's not missing, they found the sword, Ron found the sword and Harry in in the woods already when he left. And they used it to destroy the locket. <laughs> Where is the sword? Hopefully it won't be like this through the whole podcast. Cause no, this is certainly me remembering, okay. having a hard time remembering. But no, they've got the sword right now, right? What? Who's got the sword? I don't know. <laughs> Ron's already gone and come back. Okay. We know that because they're yes. together, right? Yes. And the sword was at the bottom of the lake. Yeah. <laughs> and then they used the sword to destroy the locket, or rather Ron did. So it's either them or... Oh, right, and Griphook wants it back. That's what happened in the last yes, 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 yes. chapter. I remember they actually use it in this chapter because we skimmed over the chapters last night. There's actually, yeah, there's a plot point where 
some people don't know where the sword is because we've heard through the grapevine that some of the Gryffindors that are still at Hogwarts thought it might be in Headmaster Snape's office. And they broke in and tried to get it, but were captured by the Karos and punished severely. And so on. <laughs> so, now we know where the sword is. The night before their bank rob- robbery, basically, uh, they're sitting up their disguises. What are their disguises going to be? Hermione is going to be Bellatrix. Through what magical method? Polyjuice potion. Because she found a hair of Bellatrix is stuck on her sweater from when Bellatrix was uh, torturing her, basically, for information about Harry. Ron, I think they just changed his features up. Like, they give him a beard and they make his nose all fat and... Yeah, he doesn't have to be someone in particular. He just has to not be himself, right? Yeah. So it's not important that he has a particular look, just that he's unrecognizable. Uh, Harry, no disguise at all. What's he going to do? He's going to be under the invisibility cloak. Right. I feel like they think at this point there's nothing they could do to make people not recognize Harry anymore. Also, if they did, it would be a retread of the plot device where Hermione changed his face (laughs) earlier, so it would be probably bad storytelling. Uh, Griphook goes over the plan with Harry. They're going to leave in the morning, and they've told Bill and Floor, because they're staying at Shell Cottage, that they're leaving, but not what they're going to do. Do you think at this point Bill would try and stop them? He hasn't been a very active participant in their adventures, so... So, no, not really. Yeah, I'm not sure what... Maybe it's just a matter of keeping him safe if he were questioned. I'm not sure. I mean, they let them stay in their cottage for a week or two, but that's about it. Griphook is suspicious of working with these wizards. He doesn't trust them, and he doesn't want to leave them alone. And actually, he shouldn't trust them. I mean, they are planning to not give him the sword until later. That's true. They are hoping that it's sort of a... Loophole. Loophole, correct. That it's like, well, we'll give you the sword, but, you know, I'm going to need it for a while. Why do they need it? So that they can uh, destroy more Horcruxes, because the thing that destroyed one Horcrux, why shouldn't it destroy the others? Sure, it's a Horcrux killer, and they know of only two things right now that can kill a Horcrux. One of those, and, and both for the same reason, oddly enough. Uh, one is a basilisk fang because it has basilisk, basilisk venom. One is the sword of Gryffindor because it has basilisk venom. So <laughs> as of this moment, that's the only thing we know about. So basilisk venom. That can kill horcruxes. Basilisk is hard to say unless you say it like basilisk. <laughs> sure. Uh, the next morning, they're ready to head out. Her- Hermione is turned into Bellatrix. And I remember that... Even though he knows it's Hermione, Harry is very freaked out to see Bellatrix there. It makes him kind of sick to to be in close proximity to her, even though he knows it's his friend. They disapparate and arrive at the Leaky Cauldron and then go to Diagon Alley. What is, what's different, let's say, about this time that Harry enters Diagon Alley versus the first time Harry enters Diagon Alley? I don't remember. Well... How many people are there? Like, none. How many shops are there? They're all closed down. Right. And how was it the first time he went there when he was just buying his school supplies for his first year? There were, like, more than 2,000 people there, and there were bright lights coming from nowhere, and everything was open. I mean, 
it's hustling and bustling and happy and pleasant and busy and probably stressful for some people, but for good reasons. In this case, it is desolate, barren, uh, sad, morose. It's it's um, a shell of its former self, right? I'm pretty sure that even Weasley's Wizard Wheezes close it down. At this point, I don't remember, but I know that they were one of the last shops still open. Oh, I see. All right, because at one point in the book, they say uh, they walk around the corner and there's just this bright glowing lights and they're like, oh, okay. A few (laughs) wizards are roaming around begging for money. One of them comes close to them and Ron stuns him. They don't have any time to take chances that it might be a Death Eater in disguise or something. A Death Eater named Travers shows up to accompany them to Gringotts because he thinks it's Bellatrix and a friend. At the entrance to Gringotts, there are, throughout this whole journey, every point is going to have security measures. At the entrance, the first security measure is, uh, (laughs) I hate it when she names stuff like this, probity probes, (laughs) which detect lies. Uh, Harry is hidden under the cloak. And what charm does he use to get by these guys? Uh, Do you remember? No. Which one makes people confused? Confundus charm. Confundus. He uses the confundus charm, which makes me wonder, how good is this security if a young wizard can just use a confundus charm to beat it? Maybe it's because they don't know he's there, and invisibility cloaks are so rare. I'm not sure. Hermione tells one of the goblin bankers that she wants to get into her vault. And she doesn't quite know how to act like Bellatrix, but she sort of leans on just being mean and rude (laughs) to the goblin. Seems good enough. (laughs) The goblins know her wand has been stolen. Because what is a wizard... How is a wand used at Gringotts? It's sort of like an ID. Correct. It's their identification. If you know my face and you see my wand, you know it's me. That's a pretty easy security measure, again, to beat, because here's a bunch of kids doing it with Polyjuice Potion and a stolen wand. Yes, steal the wand, do the potion. (laughs) Bellatrix knows that her wand is basically a key to her vault. So she has already... No, Bellatrix knows. So she has already informed Gringotts that her wand is missing. So what do they know immediately when they see the wand? They know that it's a fake. No, they know that they're fake. Yeah, that's what I meant. They know it's a stolen wand. Harry does something very out of character at this point. What does he do? He does the Imperious Curse? Yes, he does one of the three unforgivable curses. And he does it accurately. Well they're, he, well, they're trying to do it to save the world, I mean. Certainly this is a moral gray area for Harry. He is doing something that, under normal circumstances, would instantly get him a life sentence in Azkaban. But Azkaban is now controlled by who? The Ministry. The Ministry is controlled by who? Voldemort. Correct. So... Do the laws of the wizarding world apply to Harry if they are the laws are governed by the most evil wizard to ever exist? No, not really. Seems like it doesn't. Seems like Harry is within his rights to do 
essentially whatever to get Voldemort out of the picture, which shows you that this is a true war. This is what happens when countries go to war. This is like World War Four. <laughs> they, they break their own laws in what they consider the service of the greater good. So, for instance, in America, we have a law against murder. You cannot kill someone, right? Mm-hmm. You can't even punch someone without breaking a law, really. Oh, seriously? You know. So, but when we go to war, they kill all kinds of people. Sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands. In service of what they consider to be the greater good. So breaking one of your own laws to do what you think is right, but whose greater good is being served? When America does it, they do it for America. But whatever country they're fighting probably doesn't feel the same way, right? Yes. So what is the greater good is open to interpretation. Right now, Harry is interpreting it as do whatever is necessary to defeat Voldemort. And to save the world. He knows that that's at stake. I think there are some people that don't know that. For instance, it's not currently common knowledge that the Ministry is controlled by Voldemort. Only Harry and the Order know that. So, if an average wizard knew that Harry was breaking into Gringotts, they'd probably think he was a criminal, right? Yes. So... His situation's unique, and it's very morally ambiguous. I mean, logically, it's it's a, it's literally a bank robbery. Yeah. I mean, seriously, people. For all intents and purposes, he's committing a crime. Um, they use that. So at this point, I feel like he thinks it's all or nothing. He's probably expecting to die by the end of this anyway. <laughs> so he's going to use some unforgivable curses. A lot of readers, a lot of fans are not proud of Harry for his use of unforgivable curses in this book. I'm kind of (laughs) 50-50. It's easy to see both sides, I think. So, they make it through by uh, imperiousing the goblin that knows this is a stolen wand. So So he makes him say, Yes, Bellatrix, this is your wand. Yeah, they make it to the inner sanctum of the bank, and they use this goblin, Bogrod, to ride through the bank's labyrinth in these special carts. It's kind of like a roller coaster, kind of like a mine cart, kind of like a train. It's like the ride we rode at Wizarding World. Correct. What happens when they hit a magical magical waterfall? It since it's a magical waterfall, it's like the waterfall of truth sort of. So Yeah, it undoes all all protect all magical protections or so, Anything. Other, so other goblins that are, you know, like in the room see that they're fake and that it's Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and they obviously know that something is wrong with the goblins. Yeah, all it's the disguises magical. go away. The Imperious Curse goes away. I think Harry actually does it again, if I remember correctly. Just so that it makes it easier. Uh, the last obstacle is a half-blind dragon that appears to be enslaved. How does Griphook tell them to distract the dragon? By clanking, like, pots and pans together, because he knows that sound means that he's going to get hurt. Yeah, the dragon's been trained to fear that sound. So, like, they would hurt 
they would physically hurt the dragon while they made that sound. Yep. Pretty crazy. They, uh, they call that bag of pots and pans and stuff clankers. Clankers. Most people happening upon that dragon would not think that a dragon would be scared of clanking sounds. So they <laughs> wouldn't think to do that. They make Bograd press his palm with the Imperius, Imperius curse to the vault door. And they're let into the Lestrange's vault. Harry has... He knows the basic look of the cup of Hufflepuff. He knows what he's looking for. Hermione grabs a jeweled goblet, but then what happens that they're not expecting? It burns her hand, and then a whole bunch of cloned cups, like 30 or 40 of them, just come flying out, and they can't tell which is the real one, and they're scared to touch any of them because they know it's going to burn. Yeah, it's a pretty effective deterrent, I think. It's maybe the first safety measure at Gringotts I've seen that's pretty good, besides the waterfall. So she touches this cup, it multiplies by the hundreds, and it not only fills the room and sort of traps her, but it hurts her. Now they don't want to touch anything. Eventually they're just like swimming in all these burning clone things. Harry sees the Hufflepuff cup on a high shelf and tries to get to it without touching anything else. He uses the handle of the sword of Gryffindor. They hear goblins approaching from outside. Hermione lifts Harry up with magic, and then I start to wonder, why weren't you doing this in the first place? Why weren't you floating? So, you know, they're not uh, remembering what magic is at their disposal at all times. It's probably because they're so freaked out that their minds are kind of shut off. But he bumps into a suit of armor, and this makes so many copies that it sends burning suits of armor raining down on everybody. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. It's just because it's so big. Harry actually saves Griphook at this point, who is almost swept away by the armor and other items. Griphook grabs onto the sword, and Harry almost drops the cup, but he catches it. Griphook, you gotta think, grabs the sword, why? Because he's pretty sure that they're not going to give it back. He's he's hoping that in all this mess, all this confusion, he's going to get to take that sword and run off. Which is exactly what he does. He takes the sword, he's out. Because nobody will notice until he's fleeing the country, you know. As a matter of fact, he joins the goblin guards in attacking Harry, Ron, and Hermione. So he has no loyalty to them whatsoever. Using their own sword against them. Harry sets the dragon free using, uh, what's his name, Draco's wand, which is what he has now. And they climb on the dragon and do what? They ride him. Is the dragon saving them? Uh, I'm pretty sure he just flies out of there and then they kind of ride along with him. Yeah, he just realizes that he's no longer shackled. He takes his first opportunity to get out. So they hang on for dear life. They are sort of blowing up stuff on their way to make a path. The dragon doesn't seem to have much trouble bursting out by himself. And they fly off from there. An interesting thing to point out here is that we have learned from Ollivander in the last chapter that a wand learns along with a wizard. Has Harry ever done an Imperious Curse before? 
No. Nope. Whose wand is Harry using? Draco's. Has Draco likely used an unforgivable curse before? Probably hundreds of times. He's been not in school, but in service of the Dark Lord. We know that he has been made to use the Cruciatus curse on other Death Eaters simply because it makes him uncomfortable. And Voldemort enjoyed making Draco uncomfortable. So it's likely that this wand that Harry has, which does not work as well for his regular magic, has probably worked better for an Imperius curse than his own wand would have. Most likely because it's one of the dark curses and Draco is dark, so it probably makes it better and easier. You would think. Chapter 27, the final hiding place. To what do you think that refers? I think they hide in the woods again. No, what what is being hidden? Oh, the Horcruxes. Correct. So they fly on a dragon. They fly and fly and fly and fly and fly through the night, or through the day into the night. It's like sundown by the time they decide to get off. How do they dismount this dragon? Once he flies close enough to the ground, they jump into a lake. Yeah, they're they're not... Uh, I think they're hoping the dragon doesn't even realize they're there. I don't think he does. He's just happy to be free. I believe I can fly. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so the dragon gets low enough, they can jump into a mountain lake. They drag themselves out of the lake and onto the shore. And... They're all beat up. They're all burned. They're all bloody from holding on to this dragon. Hermione's got pumpkin juice and fresh robes in her bag. Of course she does. And they clean up and have a drink and kind of have some fun time together. And there's, there's, there's a couple of jokes and they laugh. And it's probably the first time they've felt like they've accomplished something. There's a good news, bad news situation here. What's the good news? The good news is that they got the Horcrux. Having a Horcrux, what's the bad news? They don't have a way to destroy it They have anymore. no way to destroy it. That they know of. They know there are basilisk fangs in Hogwarts, but that's, that's as far as they can get. They're not in Hogwarts, and they don't have the sword. I know this happens in the movie. I don't know if it happens in the book. But Griphook dies during the escape of the dragon. That does and, not happen in the And the, the sword books. disappears. That does not happen in the books. Okay. Well, I don't remember. Hermione is actually more concerned about the dragon at this point. And Harry's head uh, starts to hurt. Why does Harry's head hurt? Because of his scar. Yeah, his scar hurts. And when does his scar hurt? When he's feeling... Uh, when Voldemort's feelings are very strong. Yes, and it's usually when Voldemort is either extremely happy or extremely upset. Or mad uh, in some way. At this point, I think we know what Voldemort is feeling. Is he happy or sad? Do you know? Probably sad. Why would he be sad? Because uh, I feel like he knows that... That what? That his Horcrux has been taken. Correct. Somehow the news has gotten back to him. Maybe he's gotten agents in Gringotts. Maybe he's got goblins working for him. We don't know. 
but Voldemort knows a Horcrux is gone. He probably at this point knows that it's not destroyed. I'm sure he knew more when the ring and when the locket and all that were destroyed. He, so He probably feels like a part of him inside is died when some of his Horcrux right. were destroyed. So Harry's scars hurting. Voldemort knows the Horcrux is gone. He sees that Voldemort kills the goblin that tells him that the Horcrux is gone and everyone else in the room. He would have killed Lucius and Bellatrix, but they managed to jump out of the way. It's kind of like when Kylo Ren finds out that Ray has escaped and then he goes and takes his lightsaber and just smashes up a room for no reason. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like that. He's like, ah, and he's like, anything else? Ex- yeah, except that. So he got bad news and he just kills a whole room full of people. Voldemort is, and Harry can tell that Voldemort is very curious now and angry. How does Harry know about Horcruxes? How much does he know? Does he know how many they are? Etc. Etc. Does he even know that each Horcrux contains a part of his soul? Does he know that this is the way to kill Voldemort? He also tries to figure out if there's any way Harry could know about the other Horcruxes. We're still assuming that the memory from Professor Slughorn is correct and Voldemort probably made seven, but we've never actually gotten confirmation on that. Voldemort thinks about all of the places he's hidden Horcruxes. The Gaunt Shack, the cave with the Lake of Inferi, Hogwarts, and Nagini the Snake, a Horcrux that never leaves his side. So that way he can, like, defend off who's ever trying to destroy Nagini if they find out that she's a Horcrux. But what has he just done? What has Voldemort just done? What do you mean? Did Harry know that Nagini was a Horcrux? I think so. When would he have learned that? I think it was sometime in the last book. I don't remember. Um, It seems to me like this is where he finds that out, but I don't remember when he finds out Nagini is a Horcrux. But he also thinks to himself... Well, the last Horcrux, besides Nagini, is at Hogwarts. I'll go there now to protect it. So now Harry knows at least the location. Now we know Hogwarts is not a place that's small. It's not a place that's easy to search the whole grounds. It's also a place where lots of things are hidden. It's like a mile long, if you count all the hidden rooms. So... He's frustrated. Harry's frustrated. He knows where to go, but not even what to look for. Harry wakes from this sort of scar trance, flies into action, tells Ron and Hermione, we got to find the last Horcrux. It's Hogwarts. we got to get there now. Voldemort's going there to move it or to grab it or whatever. They get under, under the invisibility cloak and immediately disapparate to Hogsmeade. Chapter 28, The Missing Mirror. They arrive in Hogsmeade, and what it, what greets them at Hogsmeade? What it, what it, what unusual thing happens when they get there? There's a sound. 
Isn't there like footprints or crack or something? No, it's an alarm. Oh. It's a screeching alarm. Oh, right, right, right. This is that point. Crazy alarm goes off, and then a ton of Death Eaters show up right outside the three broomsticks. Harry does a Patronus, and then they feel like it's a stag, and then they know Harry Potter is somewhere on these grounds. It says they try to summon Harry's invisibility cloak, and it doesn't respond to the spell. Like Akio invisibility cloak or something. And it somehow seems loyalty to, like, more so to Harry than to them. The interesting thing is that they try and summon the invisibility cloak, because that means Voldemort knows Harry has one, he knows that Harry would likely be under one. That's all very interesting. The Death Eaters are positive that it's Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Who else could it be? As they are trying to leave, uh, Harry is beset upon by Dementors. Harry uses his Patronus to get rid of the Dementors, but the Death Eaters see that. Then someone offers to help them. What happens? Uh, like the owner of... What's the place? The other pub. The Hogshead. There you go. Uh, he kind of, you know, opens the door and kind of motions them in, and they kind of run across the snow to the invisibility cloak and in. And then he closes the door. He closes the door and hides them. They can hear a commotion. This person that saved them and the bartender are lying to the Death Eaters, saying that a like a cat got away or something. Yeah, he, the owner, the uh, owner of the Hogshead said he was supposedly letting his cat out. They said they saw a stag, Patronus. And he said, that wasn't a stag, that was my goat. Or a ram, I think you said. And he shows them that it's different. This is a smart dude. They're they're lucky that their Patronuses are so similar. (laughs) The Death Eaters are mad that they have not caught Harry Potter. They leave. Probably also mad they made so many mistakes, even though they didn't. (laughs) Upstairs, Harry notices something odd. There is a mirror propped up on the mantelpiece below a portrait. What is the portrait of? It is of... Sort of a small blonde girl. She looks kind of spooky. The barman comes back, and Harry recognizes... This person's eyes. Why does he recognize the eyes? Because he recognizes that they're the eyes he's been seeing in that little shard of the mirror that Sirius gave him. Correct. That also means that he is the one that sent Dobby to help them. Harry tells them that Dobby is dead. and man's sad. But more interesting than the fact that this person's helping them and that he's in league with or was in league with Dobby... Who is this person? What's his face? Uh, Well, I know that he is Dumbledore's brother. Aberforth. Aberforth. Aberforth Dumbledore. Abel's his younger brother. Aberforth explains that he bought the other side of the mirror from Mundungus Fletcher and explained that it was a, you know, two-way communication device. He's been using it to keep track of Harry ever since. He, like, glances at him every now and then. Ron assumes it must have been you, Aberforth, who sent the Doe Patronus 
to help us in the forest. Who who else it would have been? But then he tells them, I just, I literally just showed you that my Patronus is a ram. Yeah, he says it's a goat. Like literally yeah. just now. Yeah, so they still don't know who the doe is. Aberforth gives him food and says you got to sneak out at daybreak because there's a curfew, which means everyone in Hogshead has to be inside and not on the streets by a certain time. He wants them to go hide in the mountains where who is hiding? Do you remember? The giants? Hagrid. Oh. Hagrid is hiding in the mountains. I think there's a reason Hagrid's not involved right now. He might be... He might be too sort of bumbling at this stage in the game. Might have a hard time being delicate, you know? He's too kind of, you know, soft and caring and also gruff at the same time. Well, not only that, but everyone knows that Hagrid is fiercely loyal to Dumbledore. So it's likely that the Death Eaters would just execute him on sight. Yeah, but since he can't use magic, he's probably also not the greatest fighter. Harry doesn't want to escape. He tells that Aberforth... He tells Aberforth that Albus Dumbledore left him a mission and he has to accomplish it. Aberforth tells Harry, you don't owe Albus anything and that you should save yourself before my brother's schemes get you killed. Does it sound like Aberforth likes Albus very much? No, but siblings really never like each other. It's kind of their job. (laughs) Well, these two in particular seem like maybe they had a very strained relationship. He says he used to be a member of the Order of the Phoenix. He's given up. He's lost all hope. And he says, do whatever you can to stay alive. Aberforth explains that he doesn't trust Aldous's plans because you don't know the truth about Dumbledore. Why does he think that you can't trust Albus's plans? And what in their past makes him believe that? Because he never really gives you the full idea or, like, picture of what you're supposed to do. So you might mess something up horribly. Not exactly. That's true, but that's not his problem. Mm. His problem is that he thinks everyone that ever trusts or loves Albus will die. And he tells the story of Ariana. Do you remember what happened to Ariana, their sister? She was a witch, but she couldn't control her magic ever. So one day, her mother let her kind of go out in the backyard and kind of play around with her magic a bit. And then I think some boys who were muggles saw her doing magic, like, over the fence or something. And they talk to her and say, can you do that trick again? But she can't do it. And they're, like, so confused that they beat her up until she was, like, not okay. Yeah, she kind of went crazy at this point. And when their father went after the kids who attacked his daughter... He went to ask Ben. Yeah. He never told the ministry why he did it. He was afraid they would take Ariana away and lock her in St. Mungo's. Albus Aberforth and Kendra, their mother, had to be secretive to keep anyone from finding out about Ariana, who might be seen as a threat. They moved around, they kept a low profile. But as Albus was graduating, 
uh, Kendra died? Not quite. Uh, Aberforth took care of their sister more than Albus. Albus was very concerned with his schoolwork. When Ariana was 14, she accidentally killed her mother with an uncontrolled burst of her unruly magical power. Oh, when we when we skip um, when we skimmed over it last night, me and mommy, uh, she said that when Albus was graduating, their mother died. Sure, but that's it's because Ariana killed them, killed her. Okay. So Albus had this round-the-world trip uh, going on, and he came home. He wanted Aberforth to finish his schooling at Hogwarts, and someone had to care, care for Ariana. So Albus did it for a while until he met a new friend. Do you remember the friend's name? It was one of the G people. I always get their names mixed up. Gellert Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Which we know as being a dark wizard, which we have also heard is now... Albus's greatest childhood companion. And now, because of the book that came out, we think that they were both trying to seek power through magic. It paints Dumbledore in a different light. That summer, Aberforth watched as his brother grew closer and closer to Gellert Grindelwald. They made plans to travel the world and find the Deathly Hallows and reshape the world with their magic. Aberforth got into a magical duel with Grindelwald. And then Albus kind of, you know, joined in. Well, Grindelwald tried to use the Cruciatus curse on Aberforth. That's what it was. And then... Albus stepped in to stop them. What tragedy happened during this three-way wizard battle? Ariana kind of stepped in the middle, you know, like, stop it. Don't, don't, like, stop fighting. And then somebody sent a spell, uh, you know, coming at somebody else. I don't know who it was or what spell it was. And I'm not sure if it was a killing curse. I'm not sure if it was a killing curse or not because she was, you know, like... Driven to insanity, sort of. It killed her, though. Yes. Someone accidentally killed her. Grindelwald escaped and fled the country. Aberforth and Albus were left to deal with the mess they had made. Aberforth accused Albus at this point of being free of his family that's been holding him back. Harry knows this is not the case. He interrupts the story and tells Aberforth that when Albus drank poison the night that he died, this was in the cave, that he was tormented by an unseen memory. Harry is certain that it was this event that Dumbledore was forced to relive. Aberforth thinks about this for a while. He and Harry argue about the idea of the greater good, basically just what we were talking about earlier. Harry claims that sometimes it is more important than individual lives to serve the greater good, and he will finish Albus Dumbledore's plans to eliminate Voldemort, even if it kills him. Harry tells Aberforth that no matter what, he has to get into Hogwarts. Aberforth decides to help him, and what does he do? He 
sends the portrait of Ariana to go get somebody, and when they come back, when they, Ariana and this person come closer to up the painting, we find out it's Neville, and then the painting kind of swings open like a door, and then Neville comes through the wall. Neville, as it turns out, has been operating in secret inside the walls of Hogwarts with a contingent of students that have sort of escaped their daily torment. Uh, And that brings us to chapter 29, The Lost Diadem. All right, chapter 29, The Lost Diadem. Neville does not look like his old self, right? Yes, he looks all beat up and scratched in. His clothes are kind of ripped up and his hair is messy. He's been through some mess. He says that, don't worry about me, Seamus is even worse. He warns Aberforth that more people will be arriving, which lets you know that they're running some sort of underground railroad to save kids or to get kids out of Hogwarts or something, right? Yes. Harry thanks Aberforth for his help for saving their lives. Neville lets them know what's going on at Hogwarts. He tells them about the Caros. Who are the Caros? The Caros are like brother and sister Death Eaters. Yeah, and they've been teaching there, quote unquote, but they've actually just been punishing and torturing the students all year. (laughs) They've not really been uh, teaching anything positive. They're actually teaching children how to use unforgivable curses. I think they are trying to raise a new generation of Death Eaters, right? Yes. Even though it's probably not going to happen. He says that all of his cuts and bruises are from talking back to the Karos. He's more uh, confident, I guess I would say, than he has been in the past. The Death Eaters don't kill students, though. Because many of the students at Hogwarts are pure-blooded, and they don't want to kill pure-blood wizards, so they just beat him up. Neville is pure-blood, I believe. Yes. Yeah, so he's, like, sort of safe. He just gets the crap beat out of him, but he's not going to get killed. Yeah, and, like, the first or second book, uh, Draco says, I can't believe he's pure-blood. They start using an old method that Hermione devised for communication, for secret communication. What are they using? Are they using the gold medallion thing? The galleons. Galleons. They're using the galleons that Hermione figured out how to communicate during the the Order of the Phoenix for the uh, Dumbledore's army. He says, Ginny, Luna, and Neville were the leaders of the new Dumbledore's army. But since Luna was taken away at Christmas and Ginny never came back to school after Easter, no one's left but Neville. In an effort to stop Neville, the Death Eaters went after his only family, his grandmother. Do you remember what she did? No. She fought back and put the Death Eater that came to capture her in the hospital. She's actually on the run now. Neville figured out that his education was probably up at this point. He's not really going to be graduating from Hogwarts, right? (laughs) Yeah. He wants to disappear, but doesn't know where. 
Ron and Hermione and Harry come out of this tunnel into a room they've never seen before, full of hammocks, bookcases, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff emblems. No Slytherin, though. Where are they? They're in the Room of Requirements. Of course, because Neville said, I'm being chased by the Caros and I need to escape. He wants to disappear. So the room gives him a hideout, basically. And the thing I think is cool about the Room of Requirement is that you can't say, you know, I need to be in the place where this person is. So that way, if you... You You can't undo one request with another request, for instance. Yes. So you can't say, I need to be in the room where all the students are hiding, because that would undo their requirement. Now, another person can say this, the same person's requirements, but it has to be, you know, the exact same Sure. Now, Seamus has tells them that Neville's actually gotten really good at the room of requirement and knows how to ask it for things, how to ask it for food, how to ask it for stuff that they need. And that the Caros don't even know the room of requirement exists. Seems like most people at Hogwarts think the room of requirements like more of a rumor, right? The point, the rumor of requirement. So they sort of take in everything they see there. There's tons of people, Lavender Brown, Padman, Pavardi Patel, uh, Ernie McMillan, lots of these guys they remember from the previous books. Uh, everyone thinks Harry, Ron, and Hermione are there to do what? To... I don't remember. They think they're getting rid of the Caros and taking back the school. Harry doesn't even know about the Caros. He's definitely not there for that. He's like, actually, hate to burst your bubble. I'm not here to save you all. It's actually bigger than you. It's bigger than all this. He uh, tells the Dumbledore's army that he, Ron, and Hermione have to find something at Hogwarts. Harry has a scar attack. Voldemort is back at the Gaunt family shack, and he knows that the ring is gone. This is interesting. This means this this disproves what I was saying earlier. He does not feel when the Horcruxes die, at least not not before. So he thought the Horcrux was still there. He doesn't even know it's destroyed. That's interesting. So then why was he so upset? Because it's gone. Oh, because someone told him that the Hufflepuff cup had been stolen. Oh, I see. So he knows they might be hunting Horcruxes. Now he goes to the shack and sees that the ring is gone, or the locket. Or, no, the ring. The ring's what he was expecting there, I think. Right? Yes. Um, And so now he's like, oh, crap. I'm running out of Horcruxes. What's going on? Harry tells them that they've got to find something. That Dumbledore gave them a task, but none of these people can help. They don't like that. Everyone thinks he's there to save them, but... He's not. <laughs> he's like, nope, we're actually on this secret mission. It's more important than all of you. Fred, George, Ginny, Lee Jordan, Cho Chang show up. They all want to fight. Harry, Ron, and Hermione think about this. Should we let these guys fight with us? Harry remembers what Aberforth said about Albus. What was it? He believes that everyone who ever trusted or loved Albus will die. 
not just that, but what you said was actually correct, that Albus thrives on secrecy. I also remember him saying he learned that from our mother, that their mother taught him Albus to be not forthcoming with the whole truth. Knowing that and knowing the problems it caused, because Dumbledore isn't flawless, right? He's made mistakes. Yeah. Harry decides he's going to tell them the truth. He tells everyone they are seeking something to destroy Voldemort. It has to do with Rowena Ravenclaw. And it's somewhere in Hogwarts. Luna has a suggestion. What does she say? In terms of what it might be. She suggests that it might be the lost diadem of Ravenclaw. Sure, if you're telling me the most famous thing related to this head of Hogwarts of a house uh, is this is this lost item, and then you're going to tell me there is something related to the same person that Voldemort used to make a Horcrux, maybe they're the same thing. It's a mysterious item. It's an important item. It's been missing for X number of years, perhaps since Voldemort took it. So sure, that's got to be it. One problem... They call it the Lost Diadem of Ravenclaw because it's lost. (laughs) So they don't know where it is. Cho says, maybe you should go to Ravenclaw Tower. Check out the statue of Ravenclaw, which has a carving of the diadem. What is not the actual diadem? But you'll see what it looks like, right? Yeah, so at least you know what item you actually are looking for. Interestingly enough... Instead of letting Cho guide Harry up there, what does Ginny suggest? That they go up there alone. No, that Luna takes him. Why does she do that? Oh, because she's afraid that uh, Cho is going to start, like, flirting with Harry. Or vice versa. And that Luna, I don't think she sees as a threat. Like, at all. I think she knows that Harry and Luna are just friends and that's all they're ever going to be. Harry and Ginny know how they feel about each other, but they have yet to act on it, right? Yeah. They've never kissed. They've never... Well, they kissed once. They kissed when hiding the book. That's true. Um, But they've not decided to be a couple. I don't know if it was actually in the last book, but at some point Harry says, like, my life's too crazy. I don't have time for this. Sorry. So they go off. He says that to Ginny. That's who I'm talking about. Oh, I thought you were talking about Oh, no, Harry. I'm not talking about. I'm talking about Ginny. Oh, okay. So they've not decided to be a couple. Then they kissed twice. When was the second time? At the Weasley house? Uh, yeah. Okay. But still, they've never gotten much past that. They're not ready to be in a relationship, I guess is my point. So Ginny still sees that, ooh, I don't want Harry to be around. Somebody that likes him. They go check out this diadem in this statue. It's a delicate tiara. What's that? What do you mean? What's a tiara? It's uh, it's a round thing with crystals that goes. It's like a little crown. It's like a princess crown, right? (laughs) Yeah. They uh, in the Ravenclaw common room. They see the thing. They see that. There's something different about 
something different about going into the Ravenclaw common room. Uh, there's no password. What is it? It's a riddle. It's a riddle. Ravenclaw is dedicated to cleverness, right? Yes. It values cleverness above all else. So they see the diadem. It says uh, it's engraved with Ravenclaw's motto. Do you remember what it is? No. Wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. Then they hear a crazy cackling voice behind them. <laughs> Harry thinks it must be broken. He says, let's see, a cackling voice behind them jokes that Harry then must be. I don't know what that means. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> they read out loud that wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. And they hear someone say, well, then you must be broke. As in, you have no wit. They turn around. It's Electo Caro, one of the new sort of professors, really just torture agents. <laughs> she torture agent. touches her wand with her dark mark, which would do what? It calls another Death Eater or Voldemort. Correct. Chapter 30, The Sacking of Severus Snape. Do you know what sacking means? Firing. Firing, correct. As soon as Electo touches the dark mark, Harry can feel Voldemort is approaching. Dun, dun, dun. Luna thinks fast and stuns Electo. Harry and Luna hide under the invisibility cloak. Oh, I thought it was already on them. I don't believe so. And then Ravenclaws start coming out of their room because there's stunning going on, there's noise, there's Death Eaters showing up. Outside of the common room, Harry hears Amicus Caro, the other Caro, Electo's evil brother, demanding entrance and arguing with Professor McGonagall. And he sees that... Wait, no. Flitwick is with McGonagall. Uh, the brother Caro comes before them. Sure. Uh, Amicus doesn't know what to do. Voldemort's on his way. There's no sign of Harry. His sister is the one that called for him, saying, I've got Harry. This is going to be bad news if Voldemort actually shows up and there's no Harry there, right? <laughs> what would he likely do? Torture all the people in the room. <laughs> Probably kill most of them. Harry decides, or he decides, sorry, Electo decides to blame the students and say that they forced Electo to summon Voldemort and then stunned the sister. Yeah, because... Or the sister is Electo. That's right. Yeah, Amicus uh, sees Electo, like, lying on the floor, like, unconscious, and he gets really mad. Professor, Professor McGonagall says she's not going to let you blame the students. She starts to face off with Amicus, and he spits on her. <laughs> In her face. Yep. Harry can't stand it. That's he good. rips off the invisibility cloak, and he does the Cruciatus Curse. On Amicus. Like, that was a move. <laughs> Professor McGonagall is shocked that Harry is there, but also calls his moves gallant. This is the point where I feel like Harry has stepped over the boundary. Doing it, like, in front of a teacher. Well, it's not only that. It was necessary to Imperius those... What are they called? Goblins. Goblins was not necessary to Cruciatus, this Caro. He could have stunned him. He could have stunned him. He could have done a lot. 
other than an unforgivable curse. This is Harry making a mistake. In front of a teacher. Not just that, but she backs him up on it. I think they're both making a big mistake here. Backs him up? She says he his moves are gallant. His He's doing the right thing. And I would disagree. Uh, Professor McGonagall ties up the Karos and wants to know about his plan. He says... She's like, explain everything to me. He says, all you need to know is I'm acting on Dumbledore's orders. Then what does she do? I don't know. She jumps into action. She tells all of the... uh, Ravenclaws. She puts it... Well, first of all... She gets all the Hogwarts teachers, who were actual Hogwarts teachers, to join them in defending the castle. Putting up protective spells... She sends the uh, knight armor, the suits of armor, come to life, and she sends them to protect the castle. But she realizes there's one problem, and it's Professor Snape. He's in the castle. They go off to discuss their plans with the other heads of houses. Snape appears in the hallway, and he's ready to fight. Snape and McGonagall begin to have a confrontation, and they're about to duel... But then Flitwick, Sprout, Slughorn all show up, and what does Snape do? Does he stay there and fight? No, I think he, like, uh, ap- uh, uh, apparates somewhere else. He doesn't quite apparate. He does the thing that we only ever see Death Eaters do, where he sort of flies away. He jumps out the window and flies away. This must be a power that most wizards do not possess. Harry can see Voldemort at the inferior guarded island in his scar. And he realizes that Horcrux is gone too. The locket is gone. Voldemort's losing it at this point, right? Yes. He's now visited three Horcrux locations. He's seen that three Horcruxes are missing. Perhaps he can even assume that one or more of them are destroyed? It seems like he's not able to know that. Unless he, like, physically goes to see them. As Harry is trying to get everyone organized, he asks Professor Flitwick about the diadem. Flitwick is the head of Ravenclaw House, right? Yes. He says, I got nothing, man. I I have no idea where this thing is. It's been gone forever. McGonagall and Slughorn have a brief confrontation in which McGonagall tells Slughorn Slytherin has to choose Hogwarts or Voldemort. When they do finally decide, what does she do with the Slytherins? I don't remember this part at all. They eventually, when it's time to fight, this might be later. I won't say anything. This might be in a chapter you haven't read. Okay. If we get to it, I'll mention it, but I don't think you've gotten to that yet. Uh, So the whole school is hustling and bustling. Students are all moving to the Great Hall. McGonagall gets all these castle defenses going, like the suits of armor I was talking about. Back in the Room of Requirement, Dumbledore's army is getting together. With extra members, including uh, the old Quidditch team, uh, people that have already graduated, the Order of the Phoenix, they're all being called in and shuffled into this Room of Requirement, ready to fight. Harry tells them that the fight 
is coming to them no matter what. I think he's kind of giving them sort of a general speech, like this is our this is our last chance, you know, we gotta do this. The Weasleys remain with Lupin in the room of requirement after they send everybody away. Ginny wants to fight. What does Molly think of this? She thinks it's a very bad idea. She thinks Ginny is too young. Ginny says, I can't be the only one at home when my entire family is fighting. Like, please, Mom, I'm like already, you know, what is she, 16? Ah, something like that, yeah. She, Molly doesn't want her to be there, but she finally agrees. The argument is interrupted by Percy. Percy hasn't seen his family in a very long time. Like, years we're talking. What change in his attitude is depicted here? Is he uptight or is he, like, sad but happy? He apologizes for being so pig-headed and stubborn, for being so pompous, for being so concerned about the ministry and power versus his family. He realizes what's going on in the ministry. He didn't know how to get out without being imprisoned. But they are now happily reunited as a family. Lupin suggests that Ginny should stay in their room of requirement so that she can know what's going on but not be endangered. Everyone agrees this is the best idea. Harry wants to know where Ron and Hermione are, but no one knows for sure. Ginny said they mentioned something about a bathroom. Of course, we know what that means now. Harry is interrupted by another scar vision. Voldemort is at the castle. Which brings us to chapter 31, the Battle of Hogwarts. Professor McGonagall addresses the students who are gathered in the Great Hall, saying, this is how to get out of the castle. If you want to get out, go this way. If you are 17 or older and you want to fight, you can stay. Her announcement is interrupted by another announcement. Who is it this time? This time, uh, I think it's either Voldemort or Snape. It's Voldemort. And how is he making this announcement? Some kind of spell, I think. It's like a magical PA system. (laughs) He says he doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to lose valuable wizarding blood. I'll leave you unharmed if you turn over Harry Potter. And he gives them a certain amount of time. I think it's an hour, ten minutes. I can't remember. I think it's an hour. I think it's by, like, the stroke of midnight or something. But he has to get in that dig about too much pure wizard blood has been spilled. (laughs) You know, showing what a jerk he is. Pansy Parkinson, a Slytherin, points out Harry and says, there he is. Let's give him to Voldemort. We'll all be fine. Everyone's like, seriously? (laughs) Professor McGonagall tells Pansy, get out. Leave with the evacuating students. We don't need you. A bunch of older Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff students remain seated in the hall after it's evacuated, as well as half of Gryffindor. McGonagall tries to get the younger students out. They all want to fight even though they're 12, you know. McGonagall reminds Harry that he's there to look for something. He'd kind of forgotten his mission with all the excitement. (laughs) 
He's like, oh, I sh- crud, I should be looking for Horcruxes. Harry remembers that Professor Flitwick said the diadem hadn't been seen in living memory. That means no one alive today could remember it. That means maybe no one's seen it in about 70 years, I'm not sure. That makes Harry have a thought. He dashes off to find Nearly Headless Nick. Why would Nearly Headless Nick be helpful? He's not living and he's 500 years dead. Which means he's seen more than any living person, right? Yeah, that means he's like, what, 115 actual years? Well, no, he died 500 years ago, plus a lifetime. Uh, yeah, 550. Yeah, he's maybe 550, 560, who knows? Something like that. Nick says, you gotta go talk to the Grey Lady. Who's the Grey Lady? The Grey Lady is the ghost of Ravenclaw. Right, and Nick is the ghost of Gryffindor, right? Yes. Harry finds the Grey Lady. She says, I can't help you, but I'll tell you what I know. Because I want to defeat Voldemort. The Grey Lady, it turns out, is whose daughter? I don't remember. She's Ravenclaw's daughter. She's Helena Ravenclaw. She stole her mother's wisdom-giving diadem. Turns out that's perhaps why Ravenclaw values wisdom so much, because the diadem was a magical item that gave her wisdom. Because she wanted to be more clever than her famous mother, and then she fled. Her mother got sick and wanted to see her daughter one last time, so she sent a man who loved Helena to find her and bring her back to Hogwarts. The man turned out to be another ghost, the Bloody Baron. Yes, the ghost is Slytherin. He found Helena, and when she refused to return, he killed her. It's kind of not ironic. (laughs) Then killed himself. Yet, they're allowed to stay at Hogwarts. That's really bizarre. The diadem stayed where she hid it. Do you remember where that was? In the woods, like behind a tree or something? Yeah, in a forest in Albania. (laughs) For many centuries, it stayed there. Harry is not the only student she told this story to. Who else did she tell it to? Luna? What student in the past is poking around trying to find out things he's not supposed to know? Draco. No, Tom Riddle. Oh. Voldemort. She says she told Tom Riddle, but she apologizes. She never knew how evil he would be. Harry figures it out. You told Tom Riddle where this thing is. He went and got it. He hid it somewhere. He hid it somewhere here. (laughs) Voldemort got the story from the Grey Lady, went to Albania, got the diadem, hid it at Hogwarts. He hid it the night that he came back to ask Albus Dumbledore for a job. So it's probably somewhere hiding in his office and uh, and who knows where. Harry runs off wondering where the hiding place is. Hagrid comes in through the window with Fang. He's been hiding in the hills. He heard Voldemort's announcement all the way out there and returned to fight. Harry and Hagrid both wonder where Ron and Hermione are and rush off to find them. They run past shattered gargoyles and realize that there has to have been some battling going on there, right? Mm-hmm. Like it already started. 
But the gargoyle's face reminds Harry of the bust of Ravenclaw he saw at Xenophilius Lovegood's house. And then the statue of Ravenclaw in the common room, and then of another statue from another time, a bust of an old man upon which Harry threw a wig and a tiara back in book six. This actually happens in book six when he is hiding the book in the Room of Requirement, the Half-Blood Prince's spell book. Yeah, it turns out he hid it, like, right behind the tiara. He had touched the tiara. He had it in his hands. It was literally in his hands. Which is, to me, a plot hole. I feel like the way that his scar is connected to Voldemort, that were he to come in direct contact with a Horcrux... Kind of let him there. I think his scar would have done something, right? It was actually J.K. Rowling. She kind of had everything planned out for every book since, like, book four. Right, but I'm saying I think he actually would have felt something when he touched the diadem, and he did not. He realizes that tiara that I moved is Ravenclaw's diadem. He runs out to find it. Harry runs past a group of students standing guard at a secret entrance, realizes this is the room of requirement. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He's standing guard at a secret entrance. Uh, it's Fred and Lee Jordan. He runs into Aberforth, who suggests they should have kept some of Slytherin's students hostage to say, all right, Voldemort, if you come any closer, we're going to start killing Slytherins. Hmm. Is that Harry's way? No. No. He tells him, not only would I never do that, Albus would have never done that. And he's like, whatever, man, I'm just trying to help. And, you know, uh, showing and, like, thinking about how much... Voldemort cares about human life, he'd probably not like it, but he probably also wouldn't really care. It's hard to say. He would not want his type of wizard to die, but he would sacrifice them if it helped him. Harry runs around a corner and bumps into Ron and Hermione. They're carrying a bunch of stuff. What are they carrying? I don't remember. Well, they went in a bathroom, down a drain, to the Chamber of Secrets. And what did they get from the Chamber of Secrets? Did they get basilisk fangs? Correct. They got a bunch of basilisk fangs. Perhaps all of them. I don't know. They're so that would be like 30 basilisk fangs. Both of their arms are full of basilisk fangs. They bump into each other. They drop them everywhere. It was Ron's idea. He even managed to speak parcel tongue to open the chamber. Hmm. He, I think he mentioned something. In the movie, at least, he mentions that Harry whispers Parseltongue in his sleep. And so he's memorized some of it. I don't know if they say that in the book or not. Hmm. They might have. I don't really remember. This is interesting to me. Hermione says, oh yeah, I destroyed Hufflepuff's cuff cup with one of them. Every other Horcrux destruction has been a major ordeal. It was basically like, take this, shove it, done. This one happened off screen. Just without a mention. Oh, by the way, it's done. So, yeah. That's crazy to me. Uh, It also brings to light, though, every Horcrux has been destroyed by a different person. Did you realize that? Sort of. The ring was destroyed by Dumbledore. I mean, I didn't really notice that it was done by a different person specifically. I kind of thought of it as... Not hearing the same person twice doing it. 
The ring was destroyed by Dumbledore. Harry dis- destroyed the the diary. Ron destroyed the locket. And now apparently Hermione has destroyed the cup. Harry congratulates them, says, great thinking, super smart, I know where the diadem is. They run off to the room of requirement. They find Tonks, Ginny, and Neville, uh, actually Neville's grandmother, there ready to fight as well. They send them out with strict instructions for Ginny to stay right outside and do not come in to the fight, do not join the fight. Ron has a last-minute revelation. They should warn the house elves. No one thought of the house elves. This is too much for Hermione. What does she do? Doesn't she, like, immediately run to the kitchens or something? She grabs Ron and kisses him on the mouth. Why would she do that when he says, we got to save the house elves? She's happy that he's finally getting it. <laughs> she loves house elves, right? Mm-hmm. She is the creator of the spew. She's the, that's what it, that's what it is, right? Yes. Spew, yeah. She loves house elves and she loves him. <laughs> so, but she realizes Ron's finally growing up. He's finally getting a heart. So they start making out. It goes on and on and on. Harry's kind of like, all right, guys, uh, time to go do a fight thing. Harry, Harry kind of awkwardly breaks them up. Like, hello. And reminds them, we still got this horcrux to get, you know? Like, hello, I'm still here. I'm present in this room. They have to step out of the room of requirement because it's full of people. And the room has to transform for them, right? Into the room of missing things. Yes. Yeah, so hidden ev- things. So, like, 50 people have to step out of... No, no, uh, they're all fine. They get to stay in it. It just goes elsewhere. Oh, I thought you said you Harry has to step out. I thought you said you can't uh, undo somebody's thing. Right. It's not undone. It's just elsewhere. They exist on top of each other somehow. Different dimensions, I guess. It's like, what happens if you, like, destroy the floor of the room requirement? Like, how does that work? I don't know. Harry concentrates on forming or summoning the room of hidden things. And a door materializes in the hallway. They go in. There it is. The room of all the lost stuff that's ever been at Hogwarts. They split up looking for the bust of the old man with the wig and the tiara. Harry, Harry's the one that knows what it looks like, but he tells them and they're all going to sort of divide their efforts to find it. The search is interrupted when who unwelcomed shows up in the room of requirement. Draco, Crab, and Goyle. Right. Probably the last three people they would want to see. Crab and Goyle are taunting Harry as if they're not in the middle of a fight for their lives. Crab decides he's ready to take charge here. He turns against Malfoy. Crab goes curse crazy, starts throwing jinxes everywhere. He tries to kill Hermione with the Avada Kedavra. Malfoy yells at Crab to calm down, you idiots. We're not trying to kill these guys. Just disarm them. Crab releases a very powerful magical fire. Do you remember what it's called? I've heard it before. It's called Fiend Fire. Oh, I haven't not heard of that before. It starts destroying everything in the room. It's quickly out of Crab's control. The fire is overtaking everything in the room. 
basically, these things that have been hidden in Hogwarts for a thousand years are all gone now. All with one dumb kid and one dumb spell. All the Hogwarts history has been destroyed. Uh, at least in terms of missing things, yes. Harry grabs a pile. There's a pile of broomsticks, and he grabs a couple of them, throws one to Ron. He swoops around, not trying to escape, but trying to do what? Trying to find Draco, Crap, and Goyle. To save them. Even after they started this. Yeah. He picks up Malfoy. Ron and Hermione rescue Goyle. No one is able to rescue Crab. Because they can't find him. As they fly out, the fire is shooting objects into the air. They're sort of exploding. Luck would have it. Here flies the diadem. <laughs> Harry dives down, catches it, and flies out the door. In the hallway, the door to the room disappears. Crab obviously did not make it. Ginny was supposed to be waiting outside the door, but we know that there was a battle out there, and so she's not there anymore. Before they can go looking for Ginny, they look at the diadem. There's a sort of tar bleeding out of it. And suddenly, as Harry holds it, do you remember what happens to it? No. It screams and then breaks into a million pieces. Well, that worked. <laughs> According to Hermione, as luck would have it, Crab must have cast fiend fire, a kind of cursed fire that's very dangerous. So apparently fiend fire can destroy Horcruxes as well. So there's that. Just so happens the one horrible spell this one dumb kid casts destroys Horcruxes. Little bit convenient. Even after Draco specifically said we're trying to disarm them. Yeah, they weren't listening to Draco at that point. I'm just saying that probably not a lot of spells he could have cast that would have been Horcrux destroyers. But, you know, it's the end here and they've got to start crossing, crossing these Horcruxes off the list. Hermione reminds them the only Horcrux left now is Nagini. Kill Nagini, Voldemort's dead. She hears crazy yelling from the hallway. Death Eaters have gotten in and are dueling all over the place with people that are defending the castle. Oh, I thought there was one more after Nagini. Well, let's count. Diary. That's one. Ring. Ring. Tiara. Tiara. Cup. Locket. Nagini. That's six. We're missing one. What's number seven? Um. Diary. Ring. Locket. Cup. Cup. Nagini. Tiara. Nagini. Cup, Tiara. What's the other one? We're missing a head of a house. Oh, Slytherin's ring was one of them. We already did the ring. Yeah, so that's six. I'm sure the people listening to this are screaming <laughs> what the, the seventh Horcrux is. Why am I so confused with this? Uh... All right. I'm going to look up a list of Horcruxes. <laughs> I feel like we did this in a previous episode, too. Uh, list of horror cruxes. You can't do this, by the way. 
There will be spoilers that you don't want. Okay. All right. So dot, dot, dot. Here we go. Diary. Ring. Cup. Locket. Diadem. Nagini. That's only six. (laughs) This list mentions that Professor Quirrell was a temporary Horcrux. Well... I don't know if that counts. Not really. So up until this point, I guess my question is, if they think there's seven, why would Hermione say they just have to get Nagini? That seems, yeah, that's it. That's all that we've been told at this point. So maybe, like I said before, we said that seven was the supposed number, but no one ever confirmed it. I'm just wondering why Hermione knows that it's the last one. Oh, I know why. Duh. Okay. Again, I'm sure everyone's screaming because of Harry's vision. Harry saw a vision of Voldemort checking every Horcrux. So again, perhaps seven, Professor, was just his question to Slughorn. That's called a red herring. Uh, It's a story device which makes you think something is one way only to find out that it's not. Or there could could be uh, one Horcrux that we haven't heard about yet. Not to Voldemort's knowledge. Because in his mind, in Harry's mind, Voldemort goes through the list of Horcruxes and says, other than Nagini, the only other Horcrux I have is at Hogwarts. And they realize that's the diadem, right? Mm-hmm. So then, according to Voldemort, from his own brain... There's only six. There's only six. And Nagini is number six. But there could be one that he doesn't know about, even... That could be possible. Sure. So Hermione says, let's go get the snake. She's interrupted by the yelling. Death Eaters have gotten in. They're dueling. Fred and Percy are dueling with Death Eaters. Percy is Pious Thickness, the current Minister of Magic. Percy jokes, I'm tendering my resignation for the ministry. Fred can't believe that Percy is making a joke on purpose. And then (laughs) what happens? I don't remember what happened. There's a big explosion. And what happens to Fred? He dies. Fred dies. I would say of all of the character deaths up to this point, Fred's is probably the most traumatic. For a lot of readers, at least. I think for me, it would be serious because of the implications for Harry that he was going to have a family and now he never will. But I don't think anybody wanted to see a Weasley die, right? Mm. Everybody, other than Percy, everyone loves the Weasleys. And Fred and George are sort of two parts of the same thing, you know? Was it? And now one of those parts is gone. Was it Fred who had his ear blown off? George's ear is blown off. And then Fred is now dead. Right? Yeah. So now George has half an ear and Fred's gone. When everything settles, Harry finds himself buried in the wreckage, bleeding. 
Someone's blown a huge hole in the castle wall. Harry hears a cry of agony. He and Hermione pull themselves out of the wreckage, and they see all the Weasleys on the ground. Because Fred's dead. Not only is their brother, their son, dead, but their whole family's there to witness it. That's pretty rough. Especially for Ron, who knows, or will soon know once he recovers from this shock, no matter what, I have to keep going, right? Yeah, at, at least, at least uh, Ginny isn't, like, 11 anymore, because I feel like she should be able to handle it better now that she's, like, 16. Not only is it better that she's not 11, but these people in particular have seen the way the world has changed since Harry came to Hogwarts and since Voldemort rose to power a second time. I wouldn't say they're prepared for this kind of loss, but their lives have already been extraordinary for the past few years in terms of danger and death and adventure and, to a degree, loss. So... If anyone is equipped to handle it in the long term, it's probably these people. But it doesn't mean it's any less brutal for them to have to deal with, right? Yeah, like these, you know, ten people could probably handle it best. So, with that, that ends our episode, which means our next episode will be our final regular episode. Well, Cursed Child. Let me finish our final regular episode dealing with the Harry Potter books because the purpose of this podcast was to read and discuss what, at the beginning, at its inception, were the only seven Harry Potter books. So, with our final episode of that mission, we'll begin with chapter 32, The Elder Wand, and then finish the series. Now, you have not read... 32 through the end, correct? No. So, this is our one and only chance to find out how you think this is going to turn out before you actually know. Safe to say you'll probably know within a week. What do you think overall? What do you think is going to happen? Big impressions, like who's going to win? Well, I'm pretty sure that... Harry and his side are going to win, mainly because I've seen parts of the movie before. You've seen parts of the movie that make you think Harry's going to win. Okay. Because I've seen him alive. (laughs) Now, we also know that the movie has changed many things from the book. Yeah, but it couldn't be that big. This would be a pretty crappy story if you read it for 13 years and then, you know, Harry died, or they lost at least, right? Plus, I don't don't think, uh, I don't think Harry... Uh, J.K. Rowling is that kind of person. <laughs> well, she, she's showing that there is a a cost, a human cost to war by killing Fred. And by killing even more characters to come. But, and to say that Harry dies or to say that Voldemort wins, those are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Harry's side could win, even if Harry dies, right? Mm-hmm. Voldemort could be destroyed, 
even if Harry dies. It's unlikely that on the last page of the last book, it's going to say, and Voldemort ruled the wizarding world for a thousand years. You know, that's that's probably not how this is going to shake out. Who do you think, well, what do you think is going to happen? Let's talk about specific characters. What do you think is going to happen to Snape? Well, we already know that he's uh, Saks, or it's implied at least. That's probably not his biggest concern right now, right? A job, yeah. probably not what he's worried about. He's probably either going to die or he's going to like stay on the run. Okay, what about... Let's say Harry's up in the air. What about Ron and Hermione? What do you mean he's up in the air? Well, like we said, we've talked about it. he could die, he could live, his side could still win. Oh, so he's he's kind of still out in the open. Sure, I'm saying unless you have a specific prediction. Do you have a specific prediction for Harry? What would be your ideal scenario? What do you hope happens to Harry? Uh... He lives, Voldemort dies, and he lives happily ever after with Ginny. <laughs> okay. So he would live forever, he would live happily with Ginny. What would he do in his life? What do you hope he is able to accomplish if he lives to adulthood? What about a job? I know, I'm trying to think of a job because he's never really been into teaching, so... <laughs> so you think he wouldn't come back to Hogwarts and teach, probably? Maybe not. Probably not. I don't think we'll see Headmaster Harry Potter. <laughs> What's something he's good at? He's good at trickery. Trickery? Sort of. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if he's going to find a job as a professional trickster. <laughs> he's good at Quidditch. Yeah, he could be a professional Quidditch player. Maybe so. I, we kind of forgot about Quidditch in this book. Cause, yeah, it's not important. You know. Um, what about Ron and Hermione? Do you think they'll end up together? Or do you think it's just a childhood infatuation? Uh, well, they seem to have liked each other, you know, for six years or whatever. I feel like they're going to end up together. So you think they have a pretty good chance? Yeah. Okay. Who do you think, and I promise you, at least one more character that we like will not survive this book? Who do you think it might be? And by we, I mean a good guy. At least one more good guy won't make it. I really have no idea. Who would you least like to see perish in these books? Like, other than Ron Hermione? Sure, other than our main cast. Yeah. Mm. Probably Ginny. Okay. Uh, but other than her, probably George. That'd be pretty tragic if both Fred and George died. Yeah. Like, who would run the joke shop? Who knows? What do you think Ron would do with his life if he lived to be an old man? Maybe he would take over the Weasley Wizard Weezes. Maybe so. What about Hermione? Hermione. Uh, she might become a professor. Seems like a good fit, right? It yeah. seems like she might be a McGonagall type. 
sort of a... Sort of a kid, sort of. No, I mean, sort of a... Kind of type. I don't want to say tightwad, but like, you know, adherence to the rules and uh, uh, discipline, but like not mean, you know. She likes she likes order. She likes education. She prizes education. This might be something she would do. Hmm, who else? Th- that's really our main cast. So, those are your predictions. Really, it's all subject to the whims of the author. It could be any of that or none of that, you know. Um, what are our mysteries that remain? Who was the doe? Who was the doe Patronus? I feel like the doe might be Lily. So you think a ghost can send a Patronus? Uh, maybe? When Harry thought that the stag was his father, because his father's Patronus was a stag, it turned out to be him. Do you think it'll be something like that? Maybe, because, you know, a doe and a stag making a stag, I mean, kind of (laughs) fits. Sure, it would be like they were in love. It's like a, you know, a couple, so to speak. So... His father and his mother were a doe and a stag. But he is also a stag. Which means if they pull a trick on you at the end, the doe might be somebody else that we're never expecting. Right? Mm-hmm. Who might it be? I don't know. Take a wild guess. I don't know. I'm not going to say can if you're right say, or wrong. Can I just say random person? Well, you know, what do you think would make a good story? Maybe Mrs. Weasley? Don't we already know her, Patronus? Mm. I don't remember. I don't think so. Not sure if we do or not. But that would mean that she knows a lot more than she's letting on. Mm. She doesn't seem to know about these plans. Hmm, what other mysteries do we have? We have... Are there six or seven Horcruxes? Voldemort seemed to want... Seven. Yeah, because we were never really sure. Uh, there's two ways that could happen. One way, we were never sure if when they say seven Horcruxes, if uh, Voldemort counted as one of the Horcruxes. <laughs> I can actually tell you, without spoiling anything, Okay. that that question is never answered. Uh-huh. Because I've always wondered the same thing. If if the purpose of a Horcrux is to split your soul into pieces, does one final piece reside in you? Which would mean you have to kill... The physical person. The six things and the person? Or do you have to kill... The six... Seven things and then the person just dies because there's nothing left in them? Maybe that's what is implied with Voldemort saying... Could perhaps Professor One split the soul into seven pieces? That would mean six Horcruxes and one in him. Which makes a lot of sense. And someone, feel free to comment if I'm wrong, if Rowling has ever clarified that. Uh, if there is a, if there is supposed to be a piece in Voldemort. I really don't know. I do know more than you about this particular subject because I know how this book ends. But I've never been fully satisfied 
with does a piece of Voldemort's soul reside inside his own body? Because his body is recreated by Wormtail and a piece... They mentioned that maybe a piece of his soul was floating around and that's sort of how he reformed himself. I guess that's what we're supposed to think. I guess we're supposed to think seven pieces means six Horcruxes and me, right? Okay, I guess I'm figuring that out for the first time. Never mind. Don't write in. That sounds that sounds right. At least as far as Voldemort is concerned, his plan sounds like that's what it would be. So anyway, there's only six chapters left. Actually, five chapters in an epilogue. So there's got a there's a lot to clear up here, right? Yeah, on like, uh, like the last you know, fifty pages or whatever. Sure. That's a, that's a lot of action and a lot of explanation. And then, like you said, I'm not giving a specific time frame, but at some point between now and the heat death of the universe, <laughs> we will do probably one episode about the Cursed Child. I haven't read it yet. Your mom says that you can read the whole thing in like three hours, so I doubt we'll need two episodes for it. And then hopefully we will also still do our episode about Wizarding World. I've got a lot to say about that. Hopefully we don't forget everything. (laughs) That will probably be the end for a good while. At least. Though it might not be a bad idea to do an episode about the movie of, is it Fantastic Beasts? Yeah. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? Yeah. I think that'd be a good use of our time as well. But again, I got no idea. So don't delete your iTunes subscription when this last episode hits. We'll probably do some more down the road as our time allows. I'd like to, for possibly the second to last time, thank the band Harry and the Potters for letting us use their song. This book is so awesome as our theme song. I'd like to thank you guys for listening. I'd like to thank anyone that has supported this podcast through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Sue. I'd like to thank Lily for being a wonderful co-host and for sharing this literary adventure with me. I know this is something that I will always treasure, and I hope that you go back and listen to it when you're much older and see what kind of smart little girl you were back when you were reading Harry Potter. For Potter and Daughter, I'm Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. What do you think? Good episode? Great episode. There we go. This book is so awesome.